Welcome to the Set Yourself Free podcast, real stories of ending emotional abuse and taking your life back. I'm your host, Carrie Veach, owner of Set Yourself Free. I am a life and success coach that believes we all have limitless potential within us with the right tools and support. Trauma or past hurt might be a part of your story, but it does not have to be the entire story. We all have different versions of what freedom means, and I'm here to help you unlock your perfect version of how to set yourself free. Join us for season three, where we follow five extremely brave women who share their stories of what it took to get to the other side of trauma and abuse. Through listening to their stories, you will know that you are not alone, that shame can only grow in secret, and that it absolutely does get better on the other side. By hearing their stories, you will gain insight and tools for ways that you can access your own power and do the work to set yourself free. All of the magic you need is waiting deep inside of you, and these women are here to help you tap into it. Let's dive in. When did you know something absolutely needed to change? Belinda. I had a few friends who started like kind of starting to say things to me. Like uh, one, one in particular came to me took me aside and said, look, I, we don't see you anymore, but when we do see you, you used to be the kind of person that when you walked in the room, the whole room would light up and your sparkle is gone. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really, uh, it was really impactful for her to say that to me. And it took me back. I was like, so of course, initially, you know, like I, you just, I'm defensive. Like, no, he doesn't mean it. He doesn't mean it. <sighs> you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Um, but, but that was an impactful thing that I've never forgotten. And I, so first of all, I didn't know that people perceived me as somebody like that. And I had forgotten that I even lit up when I walked into a room that I was happy to see people because mm. it was usually follow like before it was a fight after it was a fight in the middle, it was, I don't really like that outfit. Um, your hair looks ugly today. Uh, you're, you know, you're not successful. I heard you're not successful so many times that it was just, it became something that I always fought it, but it really was there. Like, like Mm -hmm. he probably had 80% feeling completely unsuccessful. So it was, yeah, it was very fascinating when your friends start to to step in. And then when I really knew, when I really knew I was in trouble, it had gone way too far. I had a dog that had gotten, I had taken it over to his place and we were going to go to a concert in town and my dog was going to stay at his place with his dog. And my dog got loose. It was a little miniature pincher and he hated that dog. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he hated that dog. But the dog was right. So there, just for the record. Um, (laughs) So my dog got loose, could not catch him. That dog was not coming. And the guy was so mad that he went in the house and I didn't know what he was doing. I was standing in the driveway crying and he came out the front door and he was carrying what I thought, because we were, it was the dark. He was carrying what I thought was a shotgun. Mm. And I thought he's going to kill my dog and he's going to kill me. And it was this really frightening moment where I actually was peaceful. 
Like wasn't even terrified. I was like, mm. good, this can just all be done. Oh. And it was, and then as he got closer, I realized it was a broomstick and he was still going to try to beat my dog to death, but luckily <gasps> the Nisper pinchers are really fast. So he couldn't catch my dog, which looking back is very satisfying. But in the moment, that was terrifying. But yeah, yeah so that was the moment when I was like, wow, all these signs I should have taken. All these people trying to say, hey, uh, my friends, my family, like I'm, I'm in a hot mess and I've got to start to figure out how to get out of it. So, I mean, in a way, what a gift, right? You like have this illusion of what is happening and then he gets closer to you and it's actually a broomstick, which is still, you know, terrifying that he wanted to beat your dog, but it, it scared you enough to realize something has to change and I have to do something about this. Well, and how terrifying that I actually thought it was a shotgun. Like it wasn't even a question like that, that even came into my head was just so so over the top, you know, at this point I knew, I mean, it had gone on long enough. I knew I didn't want to marry him. I knew that because I didn't like feeling dumb all the time. I thought, well, shoot, I can feel dumb all the time on my own. That's fine. (laughs) I can do that to myself. So I'm not sure, but I was, I didn't know how to get out. And I'll also add um, we went to, and I have a lot of stuff to say on this. Um, we went to couples therapy. Now, let me tell you, we were dating and we had to go to couples therapy. And then we went to two different ones. So th- this, this was his idea. We went to two different therapists. Both therapists totally called me out and said it was my fault because mm. I wasn't talking enough. So I thought, I'm totally going to get some help here, but I am too afraid to really speak up. I was too afraid to say anything in the therapy session because I was afraid of what was going to happen when it was done. When you were alone with him. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. which unfortunately is so common, right? It's this cycle. And so getting out of that is what is terrifying to so many women because they know what the ramifications are when they're alone with that person. Oh, yeah. And then you have to think this person has been, ha- has gotten you to where you, you really don't have your friend connections anymore. You probably don't have a lot of family connect. I mean, you still know these people, but they're sick of it. You know, I mean, they've had to go, you know what, we've done all we can. You're going to live how you're going to live. I can't go in and fix it. And so you really don't have anyone to reach out to. Jess. It took a lot before I actually started seeking help. The first time was when my father passed away. Mm. And that was just because the despair was just insane. Like I couldn't get out of bed for three months. I wasn't eating. I lost a whole bunch of weight. Uh, obviously grades were suffering. I ended up having to drop out of school that semester and start again the next semester. Mm. Um, it was just, yeah, it was very scary. Um, but unfortunately at that time as well, I still didn't realize, uh, my own childhood trauma Mm. was playing such a big role in all of this, uh, mental anguish. So I would see, you know, psychiatrist or counselor and, 
they, for whatever reason, weren't able to get to the root of everything with me. Um, I was using marijuana quite a bit to cope with things at the time. Um, and I often found myself with therapists who would blame everything on that. Mm. Whereas I saw it as something that was kind of saving my life at the time, they would tell me that kind of all my problems were stemming from that. So that was very difficult for me to um, talk to somebody who initially just has that opinion of what I'm, you know, using so that I don't feel like self-harming every day and that kind of stuff. It, it didn't feel like I was being very understood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then like going, like continuing through school, um, coming out of school, graduating, working as a probation officer, um, I started seeing clients who um, were domestic abusers, uh, clients who had hurt children, um, you know, um, uh, sex offenders, which uh, it was hard for me to say that just then, which is weird because I, mm. you know, I, I consider I've done a lot of healing. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very triggering environment to be in, mm. um, not only with working with clients, but also with the, the staff that I was working with. There were a lot of people there who um, didn't want to fully engage in their job. So they would tell me things like, oh, just tell the client no, so we don't have to do extra work or, you know, don't do this thing so that you can save yourself, you know, this trouble. And, you know, I came in bright eyed and bushy tailed wanting to help people and empower people and stop people from reoffending, um, make sure the victims are taken care of and protected. And I wanted to, you know, go in and do all these wonderful things. And it just wasn't the right environment for that. So I think that was triggering as well with the lack of support I had in my own family to have that in the work environment that I was in as well. It was, yeah, it was just not a good, a good place for me um, during this time as well, because I noticed a lot of the clients I was seeing, they had a lot of trauma they were suffering from. Um, I went back to school for counseling because I figured if you know, people aren't being helped in this mm. field, in this sense, I could go and do some work that's actually going to make a difference and be impactful. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to counseling and then as you can imagine, um, going through the subjects of counseling was a bit triggering, especially getting to the, the childhood sexual abuse um, course, which is, you know, what my trauma is. Mm-hmm. Um, so going through that, it gave me a bit more clarity as to what I was dealing with. I was more able to see myself in that as opposed to when I was in my psych degree. Mm. Um, and I think it's just because I was more stable in life. You know, I had a good career that, you know, I, I could pay my bills with and, and had a saw a future in for a little while at least. Um, sorry, go ahead. No. Um, <laughs> do you feel like there was like different people in your life at that point that helped you to frame things differently or, um, was it more just, you didn't feel as much as in survival mode as maybe before? I did have a, a quite a supportive partner at the time. Um, he was supportive in a lot of different ways, you know, emotionally, financially, uh, career wise, he was, you know, very encouraging. Um, he is actually the one who helped me find the, the first resources that ended up helping me. Um, so I was able to, um, with his support because I did isolate myself quite a bit. I didn't want to tell people what was going on. I was always, 
Um, I've always been a very mm. in control person. I like being seen as right. Like probation <laughs> officer. I like being seen yeah. as the authority. I like having the answers, the information. I like being the support. So I'm not very used yeah. to being supported. Yep. So it's kind of a, a role flip. Um, but yeah, we were able to, uh, find, uh, I guess with the help of my uh, doctor as well in Vancouver, it's very hard to find a family doctor. So I was always going to walk-in clinics. So mm-hmm. finding a doctor I was able to connect with and talk to about these things was a bit difficult as well. Um, so I was finally able to find someone who got me a referral to the hospital there, spoke with a um, psychologist, which was also quite difficult because she had an intern with her and she was teaching this intern how to, you know, uh, sensitively but objectively question uh, people coming in for an assessment. And so it was a bit mm-hmm. difficult going into the intimate details of the abuse that I'd suffered in front of, you know, two different people. Uh, one person is often scary enough, but two people as well, and one person being a student. Um, and then there, you know, one of them was a man, one of them was a woman as well. So um, I, I was mm. abused by a woman. So I generally have a hard time connecting with other women and, and trusting other women. Mm. Um, so I, I most often am more comfortable with men. But again, this one, uh, being a student, it was a bit, it was a bit stressful. <laughs> Renee. It was quite, um, it, and I talk about this in my book, it was, it was almost like, I don't want to go, aha, you know, <laughs> like it, yeah. it wasn't like all of a sudden this revelation, but it very much was this internal feeling. I became quite um, elevated and intentional and quite, quite anxious that I knew something had to change, but it wasn't like a panic anxious. It was like mm. a driven anxious and I started to think and comprehend and think outside the box I guess in ways that I hadn't before Mm. um and the very uh the very next thing that I did that that started this process was believe it or not I opened the phone book and I was like I I need to go to church I mean it was the most random (laughs) thought it was the most random you know because I tried everything else Mm. and I was I was just like oh I'll go to church and I open the phone book and yep there's one around the corner little did I know it was one of the largest churches in the world mm-hmm. uh, oh yep rang them up found out when their service time was rocked on in there with my daughter and that day there was survivors on the platform talking about mm. their child abuse stories and I was like get out of here <sighs> people don't talk about this stuff what are you doing <laughs> and I could not move out of my chair I was riveted because not that they were sharing the story, that was one part, but they were speaking from a place of empowerment and strength and they were happy and smiling. They were talking about addictions and sexual addictions to pornography and being promiscuous, all these things that I thought, holy crap, not only are we in church, but you're like <laughs> airing your dirty laundry to everybody. And that's when I started going, whoa, maybe these guys are on some wacky drugs that I haven't come across yet. And it was really yeah. bizarre, but it really did um, make me think for the first time that maybe all the things that I'd been saying and thinking about myself were possibly not correct. Mm. Their points of view, how they were talking about themselves, how they were explaining that it wasn't their fault what had happened. Mm. I had never heard another human being talk openly about child abuse ever Mm. in my life and I was 26 years old. 
So we didn't have campaigns like we do today, obviously. So people didn't talk about that kind of thing. So it really, it shocked me in a good way. But that's when I started, that's when I had a real aha moment. And I was like, maybe. So that's the first tangible moment that I can recall feeling um, like I had hope that I could make a difference in my life. So I'm super curious. So up to that point, had you ever spoken to anyone about what had happened to you? No. So I had a boyfriend when I was around 15 and we we ended up being together on and off for about five years. And he sort of came along at a point where, yes, I was young. I was 15. He was 18. And it were just kids. And But he was quite caring and he was Greek. So child abuse and that type of thing was very foreign to him. And he Mm. always made me feel quite safe. He didn't ever Mm. force me to do anything that I wasn't comfortable with because I was very anxious around men. Mm. And I just sort of let on a little bit of a hint. I didn't say too much. Mm -hmm. And he was so angry and wanted to protect me. And so he became a safe space for me. And, again, I still didn't tell him details because I was so ashamed of that, let alone telling a man what Mm. another man had done to me. So, no, that was as much as I had told anyone ever until mm. I went to church and a pastor actually came up to me because I was so I was so emotional at the end of that service. And she came over and asked if I was okay. I didn't know she was a pastor. She just came over, asked if I was okay and asked if she could take me for a cup of coffee of all things across the road. Mm. I was like, oh, okay, yep, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yep. And, um, you know, Carrie, it was amazing. She said to me, she asked if I was okay, obviously, which you could tell I wasn't. Yeah. And it was like the floodgates opened. It was not like I was, I just let everything out. No way. It was not like that. But I felt comfortable enough to say, look, no, I'm lost. I have no idea what I'm doing. This Mm -hmm. is what's sort of happened to me. And you know what she said to me? She said, Renee, how can we help you? What do you need? Mm. I had never been asked Mm. by another human being what I needed since I'd never been asked. Mm. so here I was 26 and that that was another moment of holy shit no one's ever asked me that and it's never occurred to me that that's not okay so powerful that you have this experience and that you were able to receive that and take that in and obviously I mean I'm sure and we'll get into some of the steps from there because it wasn't just like an overnight process of trusting (laughs) or letting them in but (laughs) you know if we could all just snap our fingers and do that but but how cool that you were open and available to a just saying sure I'll go to coffee like what do I have to lose probably you were just feeling so lost yeah absolutely and like I said at that stage I was willing to do whatever it takes so I I ended up you know thinking I ended up taking risks that were good risks for a change instead of Mm. bad risks Mm. risks that prioritized myself and my family and future focused rather than dysfunction. Mm. And, and I always say, you know, I would have walked on hot coals for that kid of mine, you know, and I still would today. And, you know, I never thought I'd be a good mother because Mm. I never had anyone to model what that looked like. And I was never really maternal, you know, I was shut off to a lot of my emotions. So it really surprised me. Um, it was hard and I was not a good mother. I had to learn lots of things. But I loved her with a love that I'd never felt before mm. and I knew that I would do anything for this child. And I guess that was another reason that I started to get quite 
even more confused about how could my mother have allowed this to happen and that that's a whole mm. other part of my journey that I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on at some stage but so a lot of different components started opening up for me but first and foremost it was I will do whatever and if it means I have to open up to someone and risk trust mm. then I would then I was I would do that because the pain of staying the same far outweighed the risk of it not working out. Yeah. Well, and I love that because when people talk about tying whatever it is to your why, it and if you have a big enough why, right? And to me, that speaks exactly to the situation. Like you had a big enough why and you were just like, I will do whatever it takes because this child of me, child of mine is worth it. Exactly. Yep. Heather. Yeah, I can remember it very clearly. Um, it was in 2014. I was in a very toxic relationship in the sense of I was giving, giving, giving. And the person I was with, it, it the more calm I was, or the more understanding I was or whatever it was that, okay, we can work through this, the more it irritated that person. And one of our good friends um, had taken her life Mm -hmm. and that shifted our whole dynamic. And my best friend, um, my best friend was always like, you know, we got to get you into massage school. We got to get you into something else. And the weekend that our girlfriend took her life, my boyfriend had broken up with me. My best friend said, massage school starts Monday. And she took her life on Saturday. And he said, you need to get in now. And I, I was a mess. I was a wreck. I loved this guy. This just happened. Mm-hmm. And I got into massage school. And my best friend was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see you through this. I'm going to see you through this. And there was a master's course that added on. Um, but so that through that year, the my boyfriend or my ex-boyfriend at the time and I were trying, but it was still very not good. My relationship with my mom and my dad was not good at all. Everybody was just falling off. And I realized that I didn't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be abused. I didn't want to be thrown up against the walls. I didn't want to have cheating things. I, I, I couldn't anymore, but I didn't know what needed to shift. And then my health went south again. Mm. And I'm in massage school and I'm learning all of these things. about take care of yourself, take care of yourself. And I realized, holy crap, I don't take care of myself at all. Mm. And then I jumped into master's in later on that year, because my best friend was like, you know, I'm going to see you through the regular program and master's. I'm, so I took it all in that one year and I graduated from master's on my 25th birthday. And it was kind of like an aha moment. And then January 27th of 2015, I got a phone call that my best friend at 26 passed away from a sudden heart attack. My gosh. And he made it through the program with me. (laughs) He Mm. made his promise. Mm. And I said that that's it. I'm going to live the fullest. So breaking up with this guy that I thought was my life and my best friend being like, come on, I know you have more. Mm. Now it took me a couple more years to keep going. (laughs) (laughs) But it was those two pivotal moments of 
and both of their names are the same spelling and everything. So it's always oh like gosh. a weird. <laughs> yeah. Those, those two men changed my life in that year. And I don't like focusing it on men, but it was just, those were my pivotal yeah. things. And ever since I've been working on it and I've been working to become who I am, like the best that I can. Mm. Yeah. He's been gone five years on Monday. And mm. yeah. so proud of you for what <laughs> you've done, you know, like, uh, it's, it's never been easy for me. And I, I was always jealous. I was always wondering why, like, why am I so sick? Why did mm. I get abused so much? Why did I go through all this? And I'm learning now why. Mm. And I'm okay. I, I'm so thankful for what I did as horrible as what I've been through. And I know there's, there's no, I don't like comparing one person to the next or being like mine was worse or somebody else because everything that someone goes individually is the worst thing that they could be going through at that, at that time. Right. And so I don't like being like, oh, mine was worse or you went. No, I'm so sorry that you went through whatever you went through and I'm here any way I possibly can. Yeah. Well, because it's so, it's just so invalidating and minimizing when we, when we play that game, right? Because we don't actually know what it feels like or is like to be in that person's situation. And so we're always comparing to like 1% that we see or understand. It's like I always say, a baby doesn't know what a paper cut is. And that's the worst pain that they've ever felt when they get a paper cut. Mm. And we're like, oh, you're fine. You're good. <sighs> but that paper cut is the end of the world to them because they've never felt that pain before. Mm. How, can, how can we tell anybody else, oh, your pain isn't that bad. Get over it. Well, that is the worst possible thing that they've been through or the best possible thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And comparing isn't fair. Yeah. And some of the strongest people come out of hell, literally, and change the world. And that's what I want to be a part of. Mm. I think one of the most helpful things I read around like trauma and grief once was the way it was talked about was it's processing it, right? And it's healing it and it's grieving, but it's ultimately carrying it with you and in a way that's healthy carrying it, but never getting over it, never dismissing it, but really understanding that it's changed you as a person. And exactly like you're saying, like, okay, how do I use, how do I heal my wounds? So I'm not, you know, reacting from this wounded place, but then how do I use this to change the world? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big thing about what I love about what I do now. Mm. Um, is okay. You you made it from before being a victim, and then the victim, and then the surviving, and surviving. A lot of people just stop. A lot of people just go, okay, I got to this point. I I made it through. Yeah. Not knowing there's a whole nother arc over that mountain of living, and you get to live however you want to <laughs> live. And that's what I cherish now. That okay, let's, let's get over that peak because you are going to take on the world. Even if it's your own little world. (laughs) Yeah. Stephanie. I think that, you know, there was, there were moments of good and that's where I think a lot of us 
gets like sucked into that cycle is that he, he wasn't bad all the time. And that's sure. what a lot of people forget about. There yeah. were moments where I was like, okay. And then you, you start to question yourself. Well, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm doing something to make him angry. Maybe if I change, maybe if I'm different, maybe, you know, so I was, I was literally walking around on eggshells. I never knew who I was walking into. And of course me finding out way after the fact I was codependent, I was, I was going to come and take care of him. I was going to help him. I mean, he had every reason he was, um, he was trying to get off drugs. He had done cocaine and then he wasn't doing it anymore. And that was his reason. And then he started doing pills and he was trying to get off pills. And that was another reason for his behavior. And he needed therapy and I didn't understand his childhood and all of these things. And of course the helper was like, Oh, okay, well I can help him. I can show him what love is. And all of those things kept me sucked in. And I started to really feel like I didn't, not that, I, not only that I didn't deserve something else, but I, I would never be able to achieve something healthier and happier. I kind of just was reserved to the fact that that was just going to be my life because I'd never really known anything different. And I think that's extremely common, right? And yeah. also the piece that's so common and keeps people stuck of what you spoke to at the very beginning is that shame piece, right? Yes. Where, because then it becomes almost impossible for us to think that there's a different way because we think it's all our fault. Something's wrong with Mm -hmm. us. And that's why so many women stay. Mm -hmm. And that's actually why my specialty is brilliant women dating up because what I've come to find is that women that are strong, independent, powerful in so many ways, we're used to being able to succeed at everything that we do. So here we are, we've had this bad upbringing, this unhealthy upbringing when it comes to what healthy love feels like. So we don't really know what we're looking for. So then when we find someone who's showing us like just common decency in the beginning, even though the values aren't maybe the same, or there are things that are red flags that are there, those, those driven women like myself and like my clients is that we find that we, we want to force it to work. So if we were healthier, we would say, you know, forget that we would drop it. We would move on. But because there's that piece that's missing from us that we need to work on, we try to force it to work when it was never meant to. Yes, exactly. And unfortunately, then there's the cycle that continues, right? Yep. What a beautiful episode, a beautiful lesson from so many of the stories in terms of trusting your gut, listening to your intuition, and trusting your inner guidance, or beginning to trust if if you don't feel like you can fully trust yourself yet. And that's okay too. Healing is a journey and the roadmap to trusting ourselves is is often challenging and that's okay. And I love the stories that we're getting to hear and these women that speak so bravely and boldly to knowing that they needed to make a change because they loved themselves enough to know they were worth it. And maybe they didn't fully believe they were 100% worthy of a different life, but they had a mustard seed of hope or somewhere in between full out faith and a mustard seed. And all it takes is just a little bit of belief, just a little bit of stepping in the right direction. And sometimes it's three steps forwards and nine steps back or three steps forward and one step back. And any and all of that is just simply okay. So 
I am just so grateful for each of these women sharing how they were able to know when something needed to change. And for those of you listening, I encourage you to listen to your inner guidance to figure out what that even means if you have no idea how to do that. And my small challenge today would be sit in silence for as little as one minute. Just get in the habit of sitting in silence for for a minute each day and maybe expand upon that each day and one minute grows to two to three to four. But we're so used to filling the noise and filling the space. And what if instead you sat with yourself and you asked yourself what you needed and listened and listened until you got the answers. So that's my encouragement. That's my challenge for you today. I'm so grateful to each of these five completely courageous women for sharing their stories, for you all being here and listening and sharing with anyone and everyone that needs to hear this life-changing podcast. Cannot wait to see you next week as we dive into more of the stories. So we will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Set Yourself Free podcast. I am incredibly grateful that you are here supporting me and these brave guests. If you can do me a favor and take one minute to share this episode with someone that needs to hear it, I would be so grateful. And if you are willing, please go leave us a review. Each month, I will be choosing a reviewer to give a free coaching session to as a thank you for listening. One thing I know for certain is that we will forever be as sick as our secrets. Shame has no ability to grow when we share our stories in safe spaces. I'm more encouraged than you could possibly know by those that are willing to speak up, ask for help, and share with us that we are not alone. So don't forget, head on over to my website at settoyourselffreellc.com, grab your free journal, and book a free 30-minute call with me to talk about the number one mindset block stopping you from the money and impact you desire to have, and one thing that you can do this week to shift it. Thanks again for being here, and we will see you next week.